Amen. Amen. Hey, you guys can take your seats. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And he writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 100, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. And I'm going to pause there and ask you guys if you just stand up. Because um, what, I, what I want us to do, when I'm done reading the psalm, you can stand up on your feet if you don't mind. Uh, and, and, and what... What I'm going to do after I read this is I want us to give a shout out to the Lord, right? Now listen to the words of this song, right? And shouting is good. It's biblical. People say you're loud. Yeah, I know. You know, it should be in my house. We're all loud, right? Uh, you, you know, shouting is biblical. I mean, just listen to these words. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. The Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Let's give a shout out to God. Woo! Come on! Come on! They were shouting louder in Ohio. Come on! Down in Blacksburg, they were shouting higher to tech. Yeah! Woo! What a God! Amen. Father God, we love you. And God, we enter your courts with thanksgiving in our hearts. And God, we want, we want to praise you. We want to, we want to see you lifted up in this place, God. And I pray, God, that you move in such a way that, God, that we will become a people full and overflowing with thanksgiving. That we'll be known as the most grateful people walking on this planet. God, I pray that you enable me to preach in a way that brings you honor and glory Open up our hearts and minds. May we leave change. May we leave different. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, you guys can go ahead and be seated again. Um, now, just a few days ago, uh, millions of people across this nation celebrated Thanksgiving. They boarded planes. They piled in the minivans. They flew across the country. They drove along the highways on those fun family road trips. Remember them, right? You know, are we there yet? She's touching me. She's touching me. Tell her stop touching me. You don't want me to pull over, do you? I know I'm using like this when I'm driving, right? You know, I'm getting somebody. It may be the innocent party, but somebody is going to be feeling something soon, right? And, and, and they, they gathered in homes and restaurants, condos and diners, and, and they sat around tables and living rooms and a kid's table. Remember the kid's table? I ate in a card table in my aunt's living room until I was about like 15, and then I got to the big table, what a, you know, that little car table that was shaky all the time, but I graduated. I think someone in my life group was saying they were like 30 before they got to go to the big table, right? So if you've been at the big table, appreciate the big table, right? You know, and, and we met with our family, with old friends and new friends, and, and people ate and laughed and ate and shared and ate and celebrated and ate and ate, and they maybe even watched some football. 
Yes, we Americans, we love to celebrate Thanksgiving, don't we? And now the first Thanksgiving was celebrated in our country when the fallen proclamation was given by Governor William Bradford in 1623, three years after the pilgrims settled in Plymouth. Here, here's, the, here's his proclamation. To all ye pilgrims, inasmuch as the great Father is giving us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, squash, and garden vegetables, and has made the forest abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, and as much as he has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims with your wives and ye little ones, they like the word ye, uh, do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November ye 29th of the year of our Lord, 1,623, and the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye Plymouth Rock, and to listen to ye pastor. I like that part. Listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessings. Yes, for 393 years, Americans have been celebrating Thanksgiving. Uh, but understand, Thanksgiving is not a concept born in America. Instead, giving thanks is an idea born in the heart of God's people from the very beginning of time. I mean, from Genesis through Revelation, we see Thanksgiving being expressed. Now, now I'm calling this morning's conversation, Thanksgiving, a, a proper perspective. A proper what? A proper perspective. Good. If you're here visit the first time, you're like, I'm a needy, listen, I'm a needy pastor, right? I, I like amens, bring it Steve, repeat backs, all right? They get you out sooner, so that maybe encourage you. And, and listen, so seeing things in their proper perspective is extremely important in being able to give thanks, as Paul said, in all circumstances. Circumstances. Got any? Understand, perspective is not only helpful, it's vital. A young girl wrote home from college. Dear mom, sorry I haven't written sooner, but I actually did break my arm. I broke it in my left leg when I jumped from the second floor of my dormitory when it caught on fire. We were lucky. A young convenience store clerk saw the blaze and called the fire department. They were there in minutes. I was in a hospital for a few days. Paul, the convenience store clerk, came to see me every day. And because it was taking so long to get our dormitory livable again, I moved in with him. He has been so nice. I must admit that I am pregnant. Paul and I plan to get married just as soon as he can get a divorce. I hope things are fine at home. I'm doing fine. We'll write more when I get a chance. Love your daughter, Susie. P.S. None of the above is true, but I did get a C in sociology, and I flunked chemistry. I just wanted you to receive this news in its proper perspective. <laughs> You'd be like, hey, man, you could have flunked the whole thing, right? I love that letter. Way to go, Susie, right? Okay, let's do this. Thanksgiving, a proper perspective, and I, I want to read a passage from Luke 17 that will be the launch pad uh, for our conversation this morning. Luke 17, beginning at verse 11. As Jesus continued on to Jerusalem, this is his last trip to Jerusalem. He's heading towards Jerusalem for his arrest, for the beatings, and for the cross. As Jesus continued on to Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten leopards stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You know, after this summer going to the DR and going to a leper colony, I have a much different perspective because I've seen limbs missing and 
parts of nose missing, and I've, I've seen their arms, stubs wrapped up with cloth that was falling off. And so they stood at a distance crying out because they couldn't get close to Jesus. He looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. The man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give God glory except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, now I want to unpack our time together this morning by by looking at at three points that are in your notes. The, The first one is thanksgiving, missing, and glory. The second point is thanksgiving, I'm thankful for. And and the final is thanksgiving, the 35-day challenge. Thanksgiving, missing, and and glory. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? You know, when I read those words this week, the thing that initially hit me was that ingratitude is both common and it's ugly, right? Only 10% came back to say thanks to Jesus, And to be honest, I'm not sure that the percentage would be all that different today. Yes, ingratitude is common and ingratitude is ugly, right? I mean, would you consider an insult or a compliment if someone walked up to you today after service and said, you know what, Steve, you are the most ungrateful person that I've ever met. Would I consider that a compliment or insult? I think you know the answer, right? Are you kidding me? It's ugly. Now, I personally think that we have a lot to be grateful for being Christians living in the good old U.S. of A., right? A, a first world country with first world problems. However, if we're honest, I think many of us would have to admit that we suffer at times from the leprosy of ingratitude. I, I saw this picture online um, on Friday. Okay, all right. Anybody know what that is? Black Friday, struggling, reaching, right? I got to get me that TV, baby, at the right price, right? That's a first world kind of deal. And what struck me was an image I'd seen earlier of this. Here's another image. Okay, That's some refugees in Syria. And they're not reaching for a bigger and better TV. They're reaching for some food to put into their belly, right? And so perspective is so important in our thankfulness. And so you know, they're, they're basically four things that get in the way, four attitudes that are huge obstacles to you and I being a grateful people. Uh, number one is the attitude of entitlement. Hey, I deserve this. <laughs> they owe it to me, right? And understand, when the, when the sense of entitlement is high, our thankfulness will be low. On the other hand, when our thankfulness is high, our sense of entitlement will be low. Okay, here's the, here's the BL. Us cool hip pastors at my age, BL means bottom line, yo, right? Okay, here's the BL. Here's the bottom line. Thanksgiving begins when our sense of entitlement ends. You see, Thanksgiving reinterprets the situations in our lives beginning with the baseline acknowledgement that we do not deserve any of what we have been given. I mean, it's all a product of God's grace, everything, right? Everything we have. Every good and perfect gift comes out from God, right? Even our mental abilities to, to do things, to do our job, to think, to reason. And listen, when we start with that frame of reference, that we don't not deserve and we're not entitled to anything we have, 
It's hard for ingratitude to get a foothold. Get it? Good. Another attitude that is an obstacle to our thanksgiving is pride. This is the attitude that says, nobody ever gave me anything. I worked hard for everything that I have. Yes, for years we worked hard, and now that hard work is paying off. I I, I understand this kind of attitude. understand with this kind of attitude, we feel that we have no one to thank but ourselves. I could have never made it without me, right? That's the attitude of pride. A third attitude that keeps us from being thankful is a critical complaining spirit. A what? A critical complaining spirit. Ever seen one? Ever have one? They're so refreshing, aren't they? (laughs) And renewing and encouraging. You see, instead of being thankful, this person will always have something to complain about. They're experts at finding a cloud in every rainbow. In the Old Testament, we read about the Israelites wandering around the wilderness grumbling and complaining because they had no food. So God miraculously provides manna, a crust-like bread, every day so they would have food. But before too long, what do they do? They start grumbling, complaining because they had the same thing every day. I mean, they had a miracle straight from God every day, and they're no longer satisfied. It can only grumble and complain. I'm not sure that we're all that different. I mean, think about it. I think if we Americans had been there at the feeding of the 5,000, we would have complained about not having honey butter for the bread, lemon for a fish, and some wet mats to clean up afterwards, right? Jesus, I appreciate the fish is good, but you know what? A little lemon, but a little bit better. You know, there's wet naps, and, and uh, honey butter is really good. And listen, this critical complaining spirit is fueled by a lack of perspective. You know, years ago, Snoopy, um, I, I love this, is so good, an illustration at least to me. It's Thanksgiving Day, and he's sitting on his doghouse, and he's got a bowl of dog food, and he's looking through the window at Charlie and his friends having this huge feast. And he, it, well, you can see it. It's insane, right? Until thought hit him. It could be worse. I could be a turkey. Yeah. Turn to the person right and left and tell them you could be a turkey. Now tell them they are a turkey, right? You are a turkey. Question. Have you ever complained about having too many clothes to wash? Have you ever complained... Man, we have so many dishes to clean up after a Thanksgiving meal. And you know what? So many leftovers that I don't even think we can fit them into our refrigerator. Have you ever complained about your kid's room always being messy, your house being too big to clean, your yard being too big to mow, too many cars to wash? How crazy. How ungrateful for us to grumble and complain about those kinds of things. Because you know what? You have a lot of laundry. That means you have clothes to wear, right? That means you have a lot of leftovers and dishes. That means you actually ate some food, right? That it meant you, you have a home to live in. And, and yeah, your kids may be a mess, but you know what? There's some people that pray for kids all their lives and do not have them. A critical complaining spirit gets in the way. A third attitude that keeps us from being grateful is carelessness. I don't know about you, but I, I take too many things for granted. Question, if the stars only came out one night a year, would you go out and look? Yeah, we'd all be there, right? 
See, there's so many things in our lives that we take for granted. And believe me when I tell you, the very moment that they are gone, we will notice in a hurry. I mean, turn off your hot water heater for the rest of the week. Turn off your heat this winter. Unplug your washing machine for a month and drag your laundry baskets to the nearest laundromat if there even is one, right? Disconnect the internet. Leave your car in the driveway and walk everywhere for a week. Blindfold your eyes for an entire day. Take a trip for a month to a foreign country where Christians who would gather in a room like this would be persecuted, at the very least threatened for their faith. So many things we take for granted. And what if the day was the very last day that you will ever have with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with your friends, a brother, sister? Question, is there someone whose presence in your life you're taking for granted? And that it was gone, you would notice in a hurry. Now I want to give you an opportunity right now to pull out your phone if you have one. I did this first service. And if there's someone you're taking advantage of, I want you to text them right now and let them know that you love them and that you're thankful that they're in your life. So take a, take a moment or so to do that. Pull out your phones and do that. Send. Technology. For service, I was able to send a message all the way to Fort Worth, Texas, to my brother. Let him know I love him, that I miss our conversations. And just now I sent a text message all the way to Scottsburg, Indiana, to my daughter to let her know that I love her and I'm thankful that she's in my life. You know, just think of all the people, right, that you just text right now and what it's going to mean to get that text from them. We need to let people know. Stop taking people for granted. Next, Thanksgiving, it, it, it brings glory to God. Jesus asked, didn't I heal tell men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Psalm 69, verse 30. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with what? With thanksgiving. I understand, when, when, when we as God's people consistently live our lives giving thanks in everything, we will bring glory to God and, and, and we, will, we will bring honor and praise to his name. Question, who, who do you think brings more glory to God and more honor to his name. The, the person who's thankful and grateful no matter what they're going through, or the person who seems to be able to complain and whine and grumble about anything. Which person brings glory to God? Which person points to God? Which person brings more honor to his name? I think we know the answer, don't we? Uh, the next point you know is Thanksgiving. I, I, I'm thankful for and if we list all the reasons we could be thankful for God, we'd be here to, you know, tomorrow. Um, but I, I just want to share a few things that are like my top six. Number one, I'm thankful for the mercy and grace that God shows me. What is mercy? Not getting what we deserve, right? Uh, what is grace? Getting what we don't deserve. And check out what Paul writes to the church in Colossae. And by the way, if you're doing our faith, it comes from hearing um, we reread the entire book of Colossians this week. And remember I told you last week to, to live as a branch, to be connected to the vine, we have to desperately dive into the Word of God, right? Dive into the Word. And I got to tell you, wow, Psalm 145, killer psalm. It may be the best psalm in the entire Bible, man. It is amazing psalm. The book that Paul wrote from prison, Colossians, incredible. 
Proverbs 12, wow, what wisdom is there for us. Just want to encourage you guys. That's our Bible reading program. You can check it out online, FC, FC, FH, Faith Comes From Hearing, and just dive into the Word. But it, we, some of us read this, these words this week about God's mercy and grace. All right, this is your story, at least some of ours. You used to be far from God. Your thoughts made you as enemies, and you did evil things. But, oh man, that's my favorite but in the Bible. But his son became a human and died. So God made peace with you. And now he lets you stand in his presence as people who are holy and faultless and innocent. Amen. A few verses later, Colossians 2, 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, right? Oh, death, where is your sting, right? You know, why? Because in Christ, there is no accusation, right? There is, our enemy has been disarmed, for there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Question. Are you thankful that God doesn't give you what you deserve, spiritual death and hell? Are you thankful that God instead gives you what you need, a Savior, salvation, freedom, forgiveness, and grace? Understand, if our hearts do not explode, when we think about the mercy and grace of God, then we have obviously forgotten where we were before we met Jesus. So let me remind us, we were dead in our sins. We were objects of God's wrath. We were his enemies. We had no hope. We owed a massive debt because of our sin that we could never pay. I mean, there was this huge record of all my wrongs, all my evil thoughts, all my evil behaviors. And Jesus took that, that record of my wrongs and he nailed it to the cross. Understand, before grace, we were lost and headed to a Christless eternity in hell, not heaven. And again, there's nothing we could do about it. We could never be good enough. But then mercy and grace came riding in on a donkey and later hung on a cross and changed everything. And now he lets you stand in his presence. Stand. Stand in his presence as people who are holy and faultless and innocent Amen. Praise God. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. I'm thankful for the relationship that God wants to have with me. Colossians 1, 1 and 2, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And from our brother Timothy, we're writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. God our Father. You see, God didn't just save me and save you so that we wouldn't go to hell. He saved us so that, so that our relationship with him could be restored. He saved us so that we could become his sons and his daughters. Are you thankful that you can have a personal relationship with God? Are you thankful that the one true God, that the sovereign king of the universe... That, that, that he, he left his throne in heaven, that, that he, he, he put on flesh enter this world, and has given you an opportunity to have a personal relationship with him, to hang out with him, to get to know him. 
You see, our God is not some detached and distant, far-off deity. Instead, he's a God who desires to walk with us and take care of us, to be with us, and to have our lives deeply connected to his. Colossians 2, verse 6. I didn't plan this, but Colossians 2 was like, we read this week, like it's all over my sermon. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will what? Overflow with thankfulness. I understand, when our roots are deep in him, and our lives are built in, on him, we will overflow with thankfulness. We will overflow with thanksgiving, right? It's thanksgiving, right? You know, you, you can't separate the giving, right? See, true thanks always results in us giving something. you giving our time, giving our effort. Just a, a little small example, talking to Al Underwood after church last week, since it was Thanksgiving, he wanted to give something. And he said, you know what I'm going to give? I'm going to bring my horses to church on Sunday morning. Make sure we count those horses. They count as four, right? You know, uh, but he brought his horses so that the kids in children's church could ride horses today. He says, I want to give something, and I don't know what to give. You know what? I'll come and bring my, my horses. See, when we're thankful, we give something. We give our time. We give our treasure. We give our talents for God and his kingdom because we're grateful, as Paul says, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. A third reason I'm thankful is I'm thankful for the purpose that God gives me. I mean, so many people live their lives without any purpose, any direction. They have no idea why they're here and what they're supposed to be doing. I used to live like that, but not anymore. You see, I know that God has a purpose and plan for my life, and Paul talked about that plan in Colossians chapter 1. Paul, after talking about who Jesus is, that he is the image of the invisible God, that he created all things, that he has supremacy in all things, and that he's before all things and holds all things together. And after talking about what Jesus did, that he shed his blood, that his body was broken so that he could make peace with God and so that he could enable us to come before God as people are holy and faultless. After saying all that, then Paul said, so <laughs> we tell others about Christ, wanting everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that God is giving us we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. So that's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I mean, do, do you understand? Do we understand the incredible mind-blowing opportunity we've been given? To partner with God in the greatest and the most significant, important, vital, and meaningful work on the face of the planet. Helping people get right with God. Saving them from a Christless eternity, and not only that, but bringing them to a place where they can experience fullness of life now. I mean, think about it. We get to bring people to God and then watch God do his God thing in their lives. Amen? Pray for one, church. Let's keep praying for one. Lord, give me one person that I can share your love with today. Who's your one? Who has God put in your life that he wants you to rescue that's why we're here, right? No greater purpose. I'm thankful for the purpose that God has given me to every day in every way be his representative. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I'm an ambassador for Christ, right? You know, 
You know, we got a new administration, everybody, like who's, who's our president-elect going to put in, right? You know, it's covering news all the time. Everybody wants to be his representative, right, in some way. Guess what? I'm a representative God, right? Every day I can live as a representative of Jesus Christ, giving thanks through God the Father. And fourth, I'm thankful for the future that God has planned for me. Check out what John says about a future. Like, this is true, right? And, and let me tell you something about Revelation real quick. If you ever read the book of Revelation and it scares you, you're reading it wrong, <laughs> okay? You're reading it wrong. It's good news of victory, right? You're reading it wrong. If it flips you out and scares you as a believer, you're reading it wrong. As an unbeliever, yeah, it should freak you out. Get right with God, right? But as a believer, it should encourage you. And here's what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven, the old earth, had disappeared, and the sea was gone. Back then, sea is what separated people, right? It separated nations. And John wrote this from the island of Patmos, which was first century version of Alcatraz, right? And what he's saying, when sea's gone, doesn't mean there's no boating in heaven or no fishing in heaven, nothing like that. He just means, you know, all the things that separate people, you know, the color of our skin, right? Republican, Democrat, Patriot fan or something else, right? You know, all the things that separate people are gone. All the divisions are gone, and we're finally one. Then I saw a new Jerusalem, the holy city, coming down from God in heaven. It was like a bride dressed in her wedding room and ready to meet her husband. I heard a loud voice shout from the throne, God's home is now with his people, and he will live with them, and they will be his own. Yes, God will make his home among his people. He will wipe all tears from their eyes. This day's coming, and there will be no more death or suffering or crying or pain. These things of the past are gone forever. Listen, anything that has ever depressed you, discouraged you, defeated you, disappointed you, one day will be gone forever. One day will be nothing but a no more. If that's true, it's good news, right? I mean, that's some serious good news. That in one sitting on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Write down what I've said. My words are true and can be trusted. I mean, if that doesn't get our heart beating fast, I don't know what will. Brothers and sisters, we are headed home. And listen, Dorothy was right. There's no place like home. That's why Paul said in Colossians 3, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven. Oh, there's no mores. Seeing Jesus and your loved ones, not the things of earth. For you die to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Amen. Are you kidding me? Fifth, I'm thankful for the changes that God is making in me. I'm thankful that back in December of 1979, when I surrendered to Christ in faith and repentance and was baptized into his name, that God, because of his great love for me, accepted me just as I am. But you know what? I'm also thankful that because of his great love, God did not leave me the same way. I'm thankful that I'm not the same person I used to be, and I'm also thankful that I'm not yet the person that I can be because God is still working on me. According to legend, an awestruck admirer looked at Michelangelo's finished statue of David and said, how'd you do that? <laughs> How did you do that? 
To which Michelangelo replied, David was always in the marble. I just chipped away everything that was not David. You see, in December of 1979, God took a 19-year-old kid in the Navy named Steve Malone, and he saved him from his sins, gave him a living hope, and then God, the master artist, began chipping away at my life, molding me, shaping me, changing me, making me different, and praise God, he is not through with me yet. I can be more. I can be better. I can become all that God wants me to be, and so can you. Steve was always in the marble. (laughs) You are always in the marble. God just has to chip away the stuff that isn't really you. Brothers and sisters, as Paul wrote from a jail in Philippians 1.6, God began doing a good work in you, and I'm sure he will continue it until it's finished when Christ comes again. And and six, this one's coming quick, but I just had to mention it because I love it. I'm thankful for the peace that God can give me. Because as Jesus says, we do live in a world of trouble. Again, from a prison cell, Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything. And the Greek word for anything means anything. But in every situation, you got your situation? By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. Say, God, I had it. I don't want it. It's yours. I'm backing away. Hard to do, though, right? But when we do it, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard, and that word guard kind of means like Navy SEALs, right? God will station Navy SEALs around your heart and mind so no one can get to it. It's a very strong word. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A peace that he can give you. I don't know about you, I've experienced that peace, right? I don't understand it. It's like, how in the world? I don't get it, God. You know, I don't have to understand it, right? Because God wants to become that I in life storms, right? Where a whole world is chaos around us. Nothing makes sense. Nothing is going right. But somehow we're like, okay. Like Paul in the prison cell, right? That's where he wrote it. Chain. He goes, hey, I got peace. What? Because God can give us that peace when we trust in our God, right? We can be unshakable, like we sang. This brings us to the final uh, point in your notes. And I never balance my points, so don't worry. It's not going to be that long. Uh, The 35-day challenge. Back to Luke. When one of them saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet. Can you see him? Imagine how excited he was, thanking him for what he'd done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, did not heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except the foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Now, hadn't Jesus already completely healed this guy like he healed the other guys as he went underway? Yeah, he did. But the cool thing is that the Greek word translated heal in verse 19, go, your faith has healed you, is not the same word for heal used in verse 17. In verse 19, when he says, go, your, your faith has healed you, he uses, Jesus uses a word that means to save, uh, it, that means true wellness, that means complete wholeness. And, and here, here's what I think is going on. The guy was healed physically already by Jesus, but when he, but when he came back and gave thanks, 
He was made whole. He, he was made complete. He experienced true wellness. Such is the power of thanksgiving. And listen, many psychologists would verify this. Same thing. That sincere gratitude, thank, that thanksgiving is the healthiest of all emotions. That thanksgiving produces more positive emotional energy than any other attitude in life. And again, Jesus says that giving thanks is essential to true wellness, completeness, and the full experience of our salvation and our healing. Get it? Good. So how do we become a people that just overflow with thanksgiving? Well, it takes practice. And the best way to practice thanksgiving is to actually write down things that you're thankful for on a regular basis. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what the 35-day challenge is about. 35 days left in this year. We did something like this a few years back. But we need to do it again. Because it's so easy for us to allow the leprosy of ingratitude to take over our lives. How do we know? Well, we just constantly complain. We're constantly critical, judgmental, grumbling, right? Seldom joyful. And we say these four words every now and then. I hate my life, right? I don't know if anybody's ever said that before when things are, I, I hate my life. Really? Really? Is it really that bad? Listen, research indicates that people who actually record things they are thankful for, listen, have higher levels of alertness, enthusiasm, optimism, attentiveness, and energy. They are more motivated, more likable, more others-oriented, more forgiving, more generous, more helpful, more likely to volunteer, and more likely to give back. And they have a much greater positive attitude towards life. Question, what city, what community, what family, what church, what person doesn't need stuff like that? Amen? See, thanksgiving is a powerful weapon against the enemy and against the darkness. Thanksgiving amplifies goodness so we can hear the voice of God. Thanksgiving magnifies the light of God so that we can see the face of God even in our darkest moments. Thanksgiving is thanking God in advance for what we will only understand in reverse. Thanksgiving is a key weapon that brings freedom and victory. Thanksgiving is a pathway to to the fuller life and a connection to a limitless joy in the midst of all circumstances. Understand, being joyful is not what makes us thankful. Rather, being thankful is what makes us joyful. Question, have you ever met a person who was just always thankful all the time that wasn't joyful? You know, they, 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 they just are. Have you ever met someone who all they did was grumble and complain, right, that ever really had much joy in them? Probably not, right? Haven't met any. And thankfulness, I've already said, is a weapon that overcomes the darkness. I mean, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, King, and our example, when he was staring in the very face of evil on the night of his arrest, Beatings on the cross, what does he do? He gives thanks. While they're eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. Now, in the original language, the two words, given thanks, is actually one word, Eucharistic. Eucharisteo is where we get our English word Eucharist, 
You know, some churches actually call communion, right? The Eucharist. And the root word of the word um, Eucharisteo is charas, which is the Greek word for grace. See, Jesus took the bread and the cup, which represented his broken body and his shed blood. And you know what he saw? He saw the grace of God, and therefore he gave thanks. And if Jesus could give thanks in this, then we could give thanks in anything. If, if Jesus chose thanksgiving as a foundational weapon to destroy evil, push back the darkness, and advance God's good, can you think of a better weapon for you and I to use in our lives? Question, is there any darkness in your life that you would like to push back? Is there any evil that needs to be destroyed? Is there any good that God wants you to do in your life that needs to be advanced? Why not give Thanksgiving a try? So again, the 35-day challenge is for the next 35 days, each day, write down three things that you're grateful for. Here's the deal. If you actually do this, you know, I, I want to see proof, you know, if you actually do this, and at the end of this, 105 things you're thankful for, you kind of feel worse off than you did at the beginning, uh, I'll take you out to lunch. Okay? I'll take you out to lunch. I'm Patrick and God, he's dying. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll take you out. If you do this, say, you know what? This hasn't helped me at all. Okay? So I really want you to do this. It, it will change your life. It doesn't, it can be big things, right? Some of us get the big things out of the way the first few days, right? I'm thankful for grace. Dang it, I use it up, man. Now I got to think of something else. Just something simple, right? It could be a cup of coffee in the morning. It could be things as simple as I like to say as raindrops on roses or whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. It could be even brown paperback packages tied up with strings. You know, and when we do that, you know, we're going to find out, church, that when the dog bites and the bee stings and when you're feeling sad, you simply write down the things you're thankful for, and suddenly, it ain't so bad, right? It ain't so bad. It ain't so bad. <laughs> I close with this, this very brief story about a missionary in India, a medical missionary. And in this part of India, there was an eye disease where they would be born seeing, but then they would develop this progressive blindness. And his uh, doctor developed a procedure where he would stop that. And so these people would come in to him and knowing that they could possibly go blind, but leaving knowing that he had stopped that from happening and that they would see for the rest of their lives. And, and the doctor said, well, they never, they never told him, thank you. And not because they weren't grateful, but because they did not have a word for that in their language. Instead, they had a word that they would say, that meant, rather than thank you, I will tell your name. I will tell your name. Wherever you go, I'll tell your name. You know, and if we're thankful for God, that's what we'll do, right? God, God, I will tell your name. I will tell your name. I will tell people what you've done for me. I will tell people what you're doing in me. I will tell your name, and there's no greater way to thank our Father in heaven. Amen? Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your patience with those of us who suffer from the leprosy of ingratitude, God, who, who, let, who 
who let our first world problems weigh us down, and we overlook all the blessings, Lord. God, may we become the most grateful people in Albemarle County and Greene County and Charlottesville, God. May people see us and we're just overflowing with thankfulness and thanksgiving where thanks just flows in us giving back to your church, giving back to the community. And God, I pray for those who are in a dark, difficult time, Lord, that they'll follow your example as you sat in an upper room, as you face a very dark and difficult time where you knew that the Father would have to forsake you for a moment as you bore the world's sin. But even in that, you were able to give thanks because you saw the grace in it. And Father, help those in this room in a dark time to see the grace that's in it and to see your face. In Jesus' name, amen.